0: Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where this is Jack Spearkin with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate, it is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Friday... Thank God. October 2nd, 2009. And this is episode 289 of the Survival Podcast. Today's episode is going to be entitled, Do I Bug In or Do I Bug Out? And if you're not familiar with those terms, I think most of the folks who listen to the show regularly are. But if you're not, don't worry. We'll tell you about them as the first part of the show today when we get into the main topic. Uh, Before we do that, though, we do have to take care of our housekeeping like we always do. Number one, make sure you're supporting our advertisers. Uh, I've got two advertisers of the day today. One's a little bit different than normal. One of our, our regular sponsors, uh, ReadyMade Resources, recently came out with a, uh, a new product that they're reselling called the Lifesaver 4000 uh, water filtration bottle. This is the only water bottle in the world that can filter out all bacteria and viruses. Yes, I said filter out bacteria and viruses. I know the conventional wisdom is you can't filter down to that level, but this product does it. And uh, Ready Made up and took one of the other sponsorship shots spots just for this product so you'll find a banner for that product on our website please check it out it is an awesome product I think they're gonna be sending me one too to do a video review of so I'll be putting that up as uh, as soon as they get one to me our second sponsor today is tea Party silver folks again I got I got to state whenever I talk about these these folks whenever they come out with a new silver coin I buy one or two of them I've got every coin on their website uh, except the latest one they just came out out with, and I'm going to order a couple of those today. Um, It's absolutely imperative that you have some diversification of your investment portfolio. Silver is one way, not the way. It is one way to do that, and being able to add things that have some, I don't know, collector feel and some beauty, and also have the intrinsic value of silver without paying some kind of massive premium, uh, great idea, so I suggest that you get your hands on some of these coins. Next, make sure you're getting involved with our forum. Great place, great people great education. I liken it to if you spend the next six months digging through our forum for ten minutes a day and learning something new every day from the people on the forum, uh, it'll be like having a college degree in preparedness. It really is that extensive. Last but not least, if you think this show, the site, the forum, everything we put together for you is worth about 20 cents an episode, that's not even a day, that's an episode based on me doing five episodes a, uh, a week, uh, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Uh, for a Contribution of $50 a year. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. And big announcement for those of you that are already members of the Support Brigade. um, I did yesterday, last night, get the new video up in the Support Brigade. So that's there. It's building a three-part composting system. It'll cost you about $50, honestly. I say under $60, but about $50 in materials, uh, not counting the tools to build this thing. Uh, It will turbocharge your composting. It looks great. It works great. It's tested in. Proven by the Spearco's, um, and it's a 30 minute video. This isn't a five or, or seven minute, you know, little quick tip video. This is a full tilt video. I'm going to be selling it for somewhere between six and ten dollars as a one off product. Uh, but, Member Support Brigade. You get it free, and I'm going to try to put over the next six months about ten more videos of that caliber into the support brigade. You'll be getting them all for free. Anybody not a supporting member that wants them would have to purchase them one item at a time. So I'm trying to increase the value of that support brigade. Right now it's about eighty bucks. The day you sign up, you get eighty bucks worth of stuff. All right, that wraps that up. Let's talk about uh, bugging in and bugging out. Well. If you've not heard the terms before, or if you've heard them and you're not just sure what they are, they're pretty daggone simple. To bug in means exactly that, to stay put, to shelter in place. Something bad has happened, and your job, or you're not your job, your decision is to either stay home or get home and stay there and to deal with the situation as best you can, and stay in your homes. We often hear that in movies about disaster. The government advises you to stay in your homes, that type of thing. And there's good times and good reasons to do just that. A bug out is exactly the opposite thing. That means that some type of a disaster has happened or is imminent, and in the most simplistic terms, you make a decision to evacuate somewhere. That's bug out. That leads us to some other concepts that we probably should talk about before we go forward. That of a bug out bag and a bug out location. We'll start out with a bug out location. A bug out location is basically a planned fallback location. It's I can't stay in my home for any one of a million reasons. It could be because a nuclear bomb has gone off in the city closest to where I live and I'm afraid of fallout. Or it could be, I've lost my job and the bank has repossessed my house and I don't have it anymore. So it could be anything from the mundane day-to-day to to a horrific terrorist attack that pushes you out of your home. And anything and everything in between could send you to a bug-out location. Now... There is, in, in the mind of the survivalist, the modern prepper, a bug out location is something you own or co own. You control it, you've stocked it, it's designed specifically for you to go to in case of an emergency. A lot of people, what they'll do is they basically maintain a vacation home somewhere in the sticks. Uh, some people actually maintain it in another kind of semi urban area. I mean, they say, well, if there's a disaster in California where I live, Phoenix is probably going to be okay, so maybe they have a desert home out there, but it's close to the city. They're not not—they're not always remote. I prefer it to be a little bit remote, um, just because if it's a civil unrest situation, any major city is subject to the same thing, uh, if it spreads. But it is a place, again, that you own. It has a structure. It has, you know, and that could be anything from an RV to a full-fledged house. Uh, you have some type of security measures in place. You have food and water in place. It's designed for an extended stay if necessary. If you had to go there for a year, you could do it that's a traditional bug out location but a bug out location also could be Uncle Joe's or you know your sister Tom your, your, your sister Tom your sister Tammy's right it could be another family member that you've just made an arrangement with that hey look if we're ever in an emergency situation and one of us has to flee let's set up a pre-arrangement we live 500 miles apart the odds of one disaster is going to affect both of us at the same time are slim so unless that is both of us and we both We've got to figure out what to do. Let's plan on going to each other's place. And and think about things like, well, where would everybody sleep? And, you know, what would you bring with you and things like that in advance? Um, So that could be a bug-out location. But when most people talk about a bug-out location or the shorthand online, a bol, a B-O-L, they're not talking about, you know, 10 nights in a hotel. They're not talking about Aunt Jane's or Uncle Su- uh, 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 Uncle Tom or, or what have you. They're talking about a place. Now, it's up to you what type of arrangements you make. There's people that think, well, if something bad really happens, I'll pack the camping gear up and we'll drive up to the nearest national forest that's out of the thing and we'll stay there. Honestly, it's it, it's, it's either a great idea or a terrible idea, depending on the size and scope of the disaster. If it's a relatively Centralized small regional disaster, and uh, you know your only other choice because you don't have family to go stay with or what have you, is to end up in a shelter. Ain't that bad? If it's large scale looting and rioting and civil disobedient breakdown like we talked about yesterday across the United States, that's a terrible idea because everybody's going to think that they're going to do it, and it's going to end up being as bad there as it is anywhere else. So you have to have contingencies with your bug out locations. Now, when it comes down, though, okay, let's just answer the simple question, though. Do I stay or do I go, like the old song? Well, there's one simple question that you have to ask. And a lot of times it has a lot of permeations, and you got to go down a lot of different scenarios in any given situation to find it out. But the simple answer makes the choice, and that is, do I increase my chances of survival by staying, or do I increase my chances of survival by getting out of here? That's what it really comes down to. Which action makes you least likely to end up dead? And I hate to, you know, I I try to be as positive as I can on this show, but when we start talking about disasters and we start thinking about concepts like massive national level civil disobedience with rioting and crowds tearing things apart and mob mentality taking over and martial law, or the nightmare scenario of terrorists getting a hold of a a suitcase nuke and maybe getting a hold of five or six of them and send them off in five or six major cities and the civil unrest that comes with that, or a, a massive... Massive real pandemic with a death rate of 10% of infection or higher and a high infection rate to go along with it, or any of these other things that we think about as the extreme, and the what do you call low-probability, high-impact disaster, people are going to die. And if you're in the storm of that disaster, there's a potential for you or the people you care about to be killed or injured. And what's almost worse, and I say almost worse than being killed, is being severely injured, But being in a situation where you can't get to help and help can't get to you for an extended period of time and then dealing with somebody or yourself being severely injured and in a lot of pain and slowly dying with no help. And these are all possibilities. And the only reason I talk about these types of things today is because you do have to answer that question for yourself whether the the disaster's already hit or the disaster's looming. If it happens, or now that it's happened, which one of these decisions is going to make it most likely that I'm going to survive and be okay? And you might be in a situation where it's heads or tails, man. It's, it's 50-50. Uh, I, I, there's risks on both sides of this. They seem pretty equal. I think we'll actually survive either way. Then it's which way are you going to be more comfortable? Because sometimes that might mean you're going to be a hell of a lot more comfortable staying put. Sometimes it might mean you're going to be a hell of a lot more comfortable bugging out. If you're going to be in a situation where the power is out, the sewer is backed up, it's it's a bad regional situation. It's going to be Katrina-like in the aftermath, maybe in a totally different way, but that type of living conditions for the next two months while people rebuild and put it back together. And you have a perfectly well-stocked bug-out location with 60 days' worth of food and water, electricity, heat, Air, right? and you can go there and stay there until your your, your home is, is, is you know suitable to either be bulldozed and rebuilt with your insurance money or fixed or repaired or replaced then even though you might be able to live there you might be a hell of a lot safer living and a lot more comfortable living somewhere else so that is the simple question though and it doesn't matter, maybe you don't have a bug out location if there was that disaster of you know a, a terrorist nuclear bomb going off and you're in the fallout zone you got to go if you stay there you're going to die that's that's what it comes down to unless you have specific levels of protection or you might be so close to the epicenter that even though you would be better off if you could get out you can't get out so you have to bug in and that might mean bugging in at an office where you're working because you got about 10 minutes before that radioactive ash starts falling out of the air and if that stuff gets on you you're pretty much done So, every situation is different, but the question is always the same. Which one is going to give me the greatest chance of survival? It's also a time to keep your head. Um, You may be in a situation where you think, I need to go extract my children from their school. But the school may have gone into lockdown mode, and the safest thing may be for both of you to wait until some control has been developed, and then go extract your child. Because it doesn't do your kid any good if you get killed on the way to go extract them, or... Once you extract them and you're on your way home, the both of you get killed. These are things you have to think about. You cannot have a panicked reaction in an emergency. It is the surest way to end up dead or maimed. And so you need to be asking yourself kind of the next questions in advance because they'll help you from having that panicked reaction. So the next in a series of questions, like I said, you need to be asking these today is, how prepared are you? And what are you prepared for? That, that's what you need to ask now. And if you end up in making the decision about do I stay or do I go, you're going to be asking it again. But ask it now. What are you prepared for? So a lot of people may have a lot of food stored up, okay, and uh, maybe some backup power capabilities and some water stored up, and water purification, and you've done a good job as a modern-day prepper. But if what's coming is a forest fire, then maybe you need to go. Because your food won't do you any good if it's incinerated in you along with it. And if you're in one of these California subdivisions that are in the path of these raging infernos that, that have more power than you can possibly imagine, trust me, getting your garden hose and standing out there, all that that's going to be like peeing into a fire. It's not going to have any effect whatsoever. Uh, Now, I read a story in the recent Popular Mechanics about survivalism where a guy ended up in that scenario. And that's an example I'm going to save for a little bit later when I ask, can you make a difference by staying? So, somebody's made it through that. They made a difference through that. I'll tell you how in a bit. But... Most people aren't prepared for that eventuality from a standpoint of staying put. So even though you're well prepped, if you're not prepped for the type of scenario you're about to deal with, you got to take as much as you can and go to a place. This is why I think that long term, everybody should have the goal of having a decent bug out location, a fallback point. And even if that's done communally, like if you have a a, a, a relative that thinks along the same lines that you guys, you do, and you guys can you know go in together on a property, it's kind of a danger. There's a lot of problems with any kind of partnership, folks. It really is, but it can be done. And I think that the best way to do it, though, is to do it from a standpoint of we're each responsible for ourselves. We share the place. And I think that will put the onus on the other party to make some reasonable preparations and to have some discussions about that before you make the decision. But one way or another, I think it's a good idea to have some place to go. And, again, I'm, I'm okay with that being two family members making an agreement to provide shelter, but you've got to have a place to go because no matter how prepped you are, something could happen that makes your area inhabitable. All right? The next question you have to ask yourself, and this is one you can't really ask until the day it happens, but you can think about the consequences of it today, and that is, have evacuation orders been given, and specifically mandatory evacuation orders been given? i know there's people that don't trust our government that think that they overreact to things and that they don't have to obey an evacuation order if you you know i'm a libertarian which means if you're stupid and a force 5 hurricane is about to destroy an island that you live on and it's going to hit in the epicenter you know projected to hit dead center at your house and you're told to leave and you really want to stay and you say, I believe that I can make it through this... And you're of sound mind and body, and you're just stupid. You have a right to be stupid in this country. And if you want to stay there and die, you have the right to do it. Because I also believe if you want to go tie a brick around your neck and throw yourself in the ocean, you have a right to do that too. I mean, I hope you don't. If I saw you trying to do it, I'd try to stop you. But in the end, you can't really stop somebody that wants to do that. So any kind of law against it's kind of, you know, stupid. So. If you want to stay there, that's fine, but you better understand what that means when they say get the hell out. It means when a disaster hits, they have no idea how long it's going to be before they can help you. They mean that in the surrounding areas that aren't at the epicenter of the disaster, the ground zero of the disaster, where people were not given mandatory evacuation orders, if the situation there becomes dire, when first responders go in, all of those people come before you because they were not given an evac order, the area is not considered evacuated, so first responders need to go there first that means you could be there for days or weeks without help and sit around and whining and crying about it and saying that the President hates you isn't going to do you a damn bit of good. So when you're given a mandatory evacuation order, unless you have a specific plan to deal with the specific threat that's coming, and unless you can answer question number two, which one gives me the greater chance of staying alive with staying here, get the hell out. And I mean that. And Ike hitting Galveston was a perfect example of it. Staying there was a very, very bad idea. That was something. It wasn't. It wasn't if it was when, and when was pretty certain. They knew where it was going to hit. They knew how hard it was going to hit. They knew what it was going to do. And it pretty much destroyed entire pieces of Galveston Island. And if you stayed through that one, it was probably a mistake, especially if you were out on the island. Now, I know some people inland a little bit into Texas, you know, stayed put, but a lot of those people weren't given mandatory evacuation orders either. You better take a mandatory evacuation order or any evacuation order very seriously. There's a reason for it. I want the the foil hat government conspiracy people to take your hat off, water it up in a ball, throw it in the corner for a while, and understand something. That in these situations, if anything, government waits too long to give an evacuation order. Because they don't want to give one, have everybody leave, have it turn out to be a non-event, and then have them not obey the next one. That's what happened with Houston and Hurricane Rita a year before Ike. They were just wrong. But the evacuation order was probably still the right thing to do. They just didn't handle it very well. And it's also an example of what could happen when... Everybody listens to the evacuation order. That's what made Rita's evacuation from Houston such a disaster. Everybody did it because Katrina was only a month earlier. And everybody saw what could happen and said, not me, I'm getting the hell out of here. Everybody actually listened. Everybody did what they were told. And the, 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 the highways around Houston were not designed to handle that amount of traffic at one time so if you live in a high density population area i think cities the city of houston is like the fifth largest city in the world or something like that if you live in a dallas a houston a jacksonville florida of Boston, Massachusetts, and in the outlying suburbs around them, you probably need to be watching situations very closely, and if the potential for you to go is there, you probably need to be jumping a day ahead of a mandatory evacuation order. 'Cause you'll probably be able to get right the hell out of there if you do that. Remember, you're a prepper. You're not waiting for the government to tell you when to do something. You're just paying attention to what they say when they say it, and a lot of times you're making the decision in advance. That's not about panic, that's not about paranoia, that's about the fact, you know what, this hurricane or this storm or this fire looks like it's coming this way, and it looks like if I wait till they tell me I have to go and, and everybody around me's going at the same time that I'm going to be caught up in an evacuation, it could be a bigger problem than the disaster itself. So I'm going to go a day ahead, and if it turns into a non-event, I'll have had an extra day at the bug-out location or a hotel, I'll call it a mini-vacation, I'll take an extra sick day from work, I'll come back and I'll be glad to hell that it didn't happen, I won't regret my decision. That's the way you have to be thinking about evacuation, both mandatory and self-directed evacuation. The next thing you need to think about is, what is the nature and duration of the threats? Is this a pass-through threat? Is this a threat that's going to last two or three days and go away? In that case, bugging out seems to make a hell of a lot of sense, because you don't even need a true bug-out location. A long car drive, a master card, and a hotel room may be all you need. So if it's going to be a short-duration, high-intensity threat, getting out makes a hell of a lot of sense. If it's going to be a long-term, far-reaching threat, then it may spill over into your bug-out location. And if you're better prepared at home than elsewhere, maybe you stay there. See the the question: Do I bug in or do, do I bug out? is always highly dependent upon the situation. Yeah, we got to ask that you know first magic question: Which one increases my odds of survival? But that's going to change, and one of the big things that's going to change it is the the nature of the threat, its duration, and its impact level. If you're having riots in the city that's closest to your suburban area. And it's starting to spread out into the suburbs a little bit. Then bugging out may put you in a direct path with the rioters. If it's a local issue that caused the riots, the head-busting cops are going to come out and bust heads. And in that instance, they probably should. I know a lot of people are anti-cop, too. And you guys are freaking nuts, most of you. There's cops that are pricks. All right. There's cops that shouldn't have a badge. But let me tell you flat out, there's a lot of good cops, and they risk their ass for people like you on a daily basis. And in that kind of civil disobedience where people are destroying their own city, the only thing to do is send in the jackboots and start cracking skulls and putting it down. So. With that situation going on, if you try to leave, you're more likely to get caught up in it. If you stay put at home, and you well, you know, if you've got a well-organized little neighborhood community, it's probably going to be pretty easy, especially if you're armed, to keep that nonsense out of your neighborhood. And it's probably only a day or two before the before, you know, maybe it's as bad as a guard comes in and takes care of it. But they're going to shut it down. They're not going to let it keep going. So in that short-duration acute threat, you're better off staying put, one, because you're going to answer the question, two, you're more likely to survive by being staying put, but two, the threat's going to go away. Now, if it's the same threat... But it's not a local issue. It's people all over the United States have gone mental and it's happening everywhere because maybe the currency's been devalued and we now have to pay a thousand dollars to buy a sack of potatoes and it can happen. Low probability, high impact again. And people are and the cities are starting to go. Like it starts in New York and then next thing you know, Houston's in flames, and then LA and San Francisco, and it's happening in multiple places. Well, you want to get the hell out of any major major urban center at that point. Because there's no way for it to be, it's too big to be contained at that point. And the containment, that's when the government's going to go overboard. Because it's going to feel that it has no choice, and that's when it's going to really start infringing upon liberties, and, and you know basically wiping its rear end with the Constitution, and the only way you're going to be able to stay safe and free is to get the hell away from places like that. And God, I hope that never happens, but it is one extreme to the other, and at any time you're going to ask a question like this, it's going to open a Pandora's box of different scenarios, and it's important to look at some of these really horrific scenarios now, again, so that you you can make a very clear, logical plan in your head so that you can deal with the situation when it comes. Here's the reality you can have all the survival equipment and preps in the world. If you haven't programmed your mind in advance to think about what to do and how to use them, what happens is people panic and freak out. Sometimes they just lock up and sit there. They had everything they needed to survive, but they don't have the survivor mentality. And then the person with the survivor mentality that has 10% of the resources will survive because they know what they're going to do and they have a plan of action to engage their mind with and get on the ball of doing. And that is really, really important when it comes to looking at the impact level, the severity, and the duration of the disaster that's coming. You have to really consider those when you're making a bug-in, bug-out decision. The next question I have for you is... I hear people say that, you know, I'm going to defend my home. Well, will will you staying make a difference? If uh, we think we're going to have a meteor impact on top of your house, and uh, they've ordered a five-state area evacuation order because the meteor is going to hit us, and we ended up in that Hollywood scenario, then you're not going to defend your house against a meteor. Now, I don't think that's highly likely. In fact, I think it's very, very low probability, (coughs) in our lifetimes anyway. Um... Even over ten generations, we're talking extremely low probability. And all you got to do is look around, and do you see any meteor craters? And you know they don't happen often. They can, but they don't happen often. We have seventy-five percent of the Earth is water, and how big is it? What's it made out of? And is it really a threat? But if it's a credible threat of a meteor strike, you, you can hang out all you want. You're not going to make a difference. Um, I remember. I don't. I think it was. Uh, it was either Dane Cook. Or maybe it was uh, Dennis Leary. No, actually, you know who it was? It was Ron White. It was one of those comedians. Ron White was talking about a guy that was going to stand uh, through a, a you know, Force 3 hurricane in the Bahamas or something like that. Because he knew he could stand up to the wind. He was going to basically have himself tied to a tree. And he could stand the wind. And he was like 70 years old, but he was like some fitness guy. And and what Ron White said is it's not that the wind is blowing, it's what the wind is blowing. You can do a thousand sit-ups a day, but if you get hit in the spleen with a yield sign, you're dead. And yeah, that's funny, but it's also a harsh reality. So in any situation, will you stay and make a difference? Sometimes it can. And sometimes in a situation for most people, it would not. You can if you're prepared for it. That's why I'm going to tell the story about this guy from Popular Mechanics. He lived down in California, he knew forest fires were a threat. He bought a full fire suit, like the fire department uses, you know, where you put the jacket on and the helmet and the respirator and all. He got a full fire hose and a pump capable of maximizing that fire hose. He got a 10,000-gallon water tank. And he, when the fire started, he boarded up all the vents in his attic and at his home, so none of the embers could get inside the home and then he packed up his RV as the fire approached put everything he would need to evacuate within the RV and parked the RV on the far side of the property pointing out and ready to run and leave if he had to directly away from the way that the fire was approaching he then went when the fire started to get closer and started using his 10,000 gallons of water completely soaked his house completely soaked his yard and uh, even tried to help out his neighbors as best he could on both sides of them As the fire approached, even with a fire hose, he said that spraying the water directly at the fire had no effect. The water evaporated in the air in the steam. But, he, so he went back to just soaking the house and soaking the yard and soaking his two neighbors' house. Now, one of the neighbors' house, in spite of his efforts, the embers did exactly what he was prepared to prevent, which was they got up into his attic and once his neighbor's house caught on fire, there was no hope, he let it go. And he focused on his other neighbor's house and his own and the fire basically cut a swath around him. And he made it. Now, he risked his life, but he saved his house. Now, he had to make the decision for himself whether or not it was worth the risk. And it, if... He had lost control of the situation and not had a chance to to run to that RV and get the hell out of there. He could have been killed. And he said that he never wanted to recommend that anybody else put their life in jeopardy. But But the lesson of that story is he was prepared for the specific threat in every feasible way that a person could be. So when the question came, can I make a difference by staying, he could say yes, and it made it an option to consider. Now we can debate whether it was the right choice or not. And since he, since he saved his house, everybody would say, Well oh, of course it's the right choice. But just as easily, the fire could have been more intense, the wind could have blown a different way, something could have happened, he could have been hurt, he could have been killed. And then we would have all said it was the wrong decision. And that's the point. A lot of times there isn't a clear-cut right and wrong decision. But all we can do is the best we can do by asking very specific questions to the situation. And again, in this case, he could answer, yes, I can make a decision. I can make a difference if I stay here. The next question I have for you when it comes to bugging out in a lot of scenarios is, where are you going to go? How are you going to get there? And I don't mean how are you going to get there is as I'm going to get there in a car or a truck or, you know, on foot or whatever. I mean, how, as in, which routes are you going to take? What routes get cut off when your area is evacuated? Do they funnel traffic through mandatory evacuation, evacuation routes? You know, do you have to get a hold of anybody else on your way there? Do you have to rendezvous with any? So, so it's not so much you're going to make the decision to bug in or bug out based on this, this question, but if you don't know the answers in advance, your t- odds of a successful bug out go down. So that's why I say in your documentation package, three possible fallback locations. I don't care if one is a random city with a random list of hotels you can book a room at. I don't care if the other one is a a fortified bug-out location and the third one is Aunt Sue's. I don't care how you do it, but you better have three places and three decidedly different directions from your point where you're at right now. In other words, if one's west, you better have one that's east and south or east and north. But at least three Four would be better, but three is a minimum, places you would go. And to each of those three places, three planned routes to get there, considering that other routes may be obstructed or for one reason or another, you can't possibly go that way. And Google Maps is a great resource to set that up. Three locations, three routes on how to get there, and three rally points. One rally point for every route. To each location. So if you have three routes to location A, you have three rally points for route one, two, and three. So that if you're separated from people you're going there with, you guys have a known point along the evacuation route that you'll wait for each other. And a way to signal that one of you's been there and left. So some sort of marker that you guys agree upon, keep these in your car, they can be some type of little metal sign or something like that that you would place in the ground or on a tree or somewhere highly visible that would indicate. To the other party, you've waited as long as you can for them, and you've gone on. That way, they won't wait for you. If you know you don't get, aren't able to get together by communications uh, before that point, and there's a possibility that none of your communications mediums would work, and that's in a, in a disaster scenario that's that bad. So you have to think ahead like this. The people that think ahead are the ones that can be calm and rational. Everybody else freaks out. And trust me, when people start freaking out, get away from them. The ones that are freaking out are more dangerous than a disaster 90% of the time. So, you know, ask that question today. Where would you go? How would you get there? Next question. Do you have a well-stocked bug-out location? I mean, if you have a good fallback location you got 60 days or more worth of food. You've got power. You've got light. You've got water. you got shelter. And it's outside of the disaster area. Bugging out makes a hell of a lot of sense in a lot of situations. If you don't have one, if your choice is to go to Aunt Sue's, what's it like there? How much space does she have? How long can you really stay there? Will you be able to work during this disaster if you stay put? Will you be able to work if you go? You have to ask a lot more questions when you don't have something that you own and control and maintain. That's why I'm big on it. Because the scenario, if it ever comes up, having the location gives you the option. In a lot of situations where you may choose to stay put, now you would choose to go simply because you have somewhere to go to. I know it sounds overly simplified. But that's a huge question that you have to ask, and you have to ask it now, because if the answer is no, then you have to say, well, am I comfortable without a bug-out location? And many people are, and I don't think everybody should necessarily have the type of bug-out location that I'm talking about here. Again, not ANSUS or, or you know, a, a plan to go, you know, double up or, or what have you, but a true secondary piece of property uh, with a structure on it that you own that's well maintained and well stocked. But for 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 me, it's a tremendous peace of mind that it brings to me, and it gives me a you know a, a, a real option. And on top of it, I have a vacation house. So, so that's why we made that decision. But if the answer is no, then that changes a lot of things about how you respond to individual disasters. Things that you may have gotten out of the way of, you may now be better off sheltering in place for because you simply don't have any place to go. And if the threat and loss of life is not really high, then you may be better off sheltering in place. The next question to ask is, will you be able to help your community if you stay behind? Are you a first responder? Do you need to go to a place that's designed for you to shelter until the disaster is over? See to the evacuation of your family, but you need to stay. Or. Is this the type of disaster that it's going to be maybe localized riding, and you know you're the person in your neighborhood that can pull the community together and save your entire neighborhood? Is there going to be a short-term shortage of food and you have enough and you're willing to share with the old lady that lives down the road and make sure she doesn't starve? Or is all hell going to break loose and you staying put not going to matter? For instance, let's go back to Hurricane Ike in uh, Galveston. Um, if you, they, it, to quote Ron White, if you got a yield sign in your spleen, you're screwed. Okay, And you're not going to be able to help anybody. If your house is flattened on top of you and you're dead, you're not going to be able to help anybody. If uh, there's a credible threat that there's a nuclear bomb in the center of the city you live in, and you live in a little condo right near the center of the city, you're not going to be able to help anybody if you're vaporized. You live on the outskirts of the city that has this credible nuclear threat and you want to hold your community together and based on you know prevailing winds and all you're not likely to, to be on the side where the fallout comes I don't know if you should stay or go based on that but I do know you might be able to make a difference and that's something you should consider as you make your decision. Now if you believe you're putting yourself and your family at greater risk and you have an option to bug out maybe you should. But what I'm saying here is in every situation it's different and you got to ask these questions all the way down. You also have to consider more than yourself. Next you have to ask What about all your family members? What's it going to be like for them? Are they able to deal with this situation the way that you are? A lot of people, you know, are tough people. They're calm, rational, they're prepared for a disaster. If you're a fireman, you might deal with, in a big city, you might deal with disasters on a daily basis. You might run in a burning building four or five times in a month. You You might be a law enforcement officer. You might be perfectly prepared to deal with the situation maybe today you're an accountant but you're an accountant that spent the last ten years of his life in, in a you know a military unit an infantry unit and you're prepared from that standpoint to deal psychologically with the situation it doesn't mean your wife and kids are or that your dad and your mom are or your niece and your nephew is. And maybe even though you could stay and make it, maybe they need you wherever it is that they need to go to. If it's a short-term acute disaster and it's your job to stay, you send them on their way alone. If it's a long-term major breakdown, your place is with them. And that's another thing we need to be aware of, folks. People that think, well, the police will put it all back together for us, or even the National Guard or the military. You get into a national-level disaster, a lot of these guys are going to go AWOL. And you can talk about sense of duty all you want. The first duty of a man, if he's married, is to his wife and children. And I mean that. That's, that's where his loyalty must lie. He takes care of his own first. And, that's in most, and I don't care how many people say it wouldn't be that way. For most men that love their wives and love their children, if they really think their family's at risk, they're going to go take care of their own first. And in these, these big widespread riot scenarios or these massive uh, terrorist strike scenarios or any of these other you know doomsday scenarios, a lot of the responders are going to take care of their own first. And that's not a negative statement about them. It's a statement of human nature. And that means that you need to be prepared to take care of your own first. And that may mean that even though you could stay and make a difference, that you pack the kids and the wife up and you get the hell out because they are not able to deal with the situation the way that you are. You have to put them first in your life and in your family collective life. And that's just reality. Bad things happen every day. Some people are, are built to deal with that situation, but maybe someone else needs you to help them deal with that situation. And, uh, again, I, I can see a lot of scenarios where it's going to come down to uh, to be in you know, your your family or the people that are closest to you. My next question for you is what can you reasonably take with you? How many things are you going to have to live, leave behind? You're not going to be able to load up a van line's moving truck and take everything you own. You need to think today, now, if I were to have a half hour to get out of here, and it could be less, and I had to pack up everything, including the dogs and the kids and the cats and the bird or whatever, and food and water and and sheltering material and and emergency supplies and, and everything that I possibly can and get out of here, what would I take? How much of it can I really take? If you think you can take more you know, if you think you can take a lot, you might want to one day just have a Saturday where you do a vehicle pack and see. Give yourself thirty minutes, see how much you can get in there, see how much you can't, see what can go, see what can't. You'll be surprised at how much you're gonna to have to leave behind. And in a lot of scenarios where it seems like bugging out might be a good idea, if you have a reasonable chance of survival and sustainability at home, that may swing your vote back to, you know what, we're staying here. And the next thing is, you know, where exactly is it you're going if you leave? And what's waiting for you when you get there? We've kind of talked about that, but I'm going to wrap up with it because it's probably the most important part of all this. If you have, again, that that well-stocked, fortified location to go to, with all the comforts of home waiting for you there, kind of a little mirror image vacation home, that's one thing. But if it's a shelter that you're going to, that's totally different. And and the reason I I put the question at the end and kind of restate some of the things that we've already stated is, again, the time to think about this stuff is now. Because even if the plan is you're going to Aunt Sue's, you could right now put some stuff there. You know, to have an extra closet or a basement they could give you a little area in and, and cash some things there in advance. That makes a big difference. If what's waiting for you is a nice hotel room and a three-day stay while the threat passes, and hopefully you have a place to come back to, that makes a difference as well. If what's waiting for you is nothing, if you have no place to go, that changes the entire concept up into the point where staying means death or probable death. In any situation, when you get to a point, I'm standing in the middle of the street, there's a car coming directly at me. Getting out of the way means survival. Staying put means death. I move. Now, I might have to throw myself into a pile of sticker bushes and brambles and get all cut up and scratched and, and in really bad shape and hurt to get off of the road at this given point in time. That's a bad situation I'm going into, but being hit by a car doing 70 miles an hour is far worse. I'll go into the brambles. And and that is the scenario, though. You have to know, are you going into brambles? Or are you going off a cliff? Or are you going to land in a soft bed? Ask those questions now because what will happen is those the, 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 the harsh reality of I'm going to land in the a, a brambles or I'm going to go off a cliff will make you come up with an alternative today while you have time and resources to think about, plan for, and prepare for that situation. And you won't have to make a decision in five seconds, which is what you're setting yourself up for if you don't ask the question today, if I leave, where am I going What is waiting for me when I get there? answer that question for yourself. Again, I know a lot of people have limited resources. Not everybody can own a property, let alone two properties. I understand that. It doesn't mean you have to have no plan. Trust me, the day you have to make the decision, you'll come up with a plan. It just might be a really, really bad one that will lead you and your family into a really, really bad situation. Or you can actually pull your head up out of the sand for a day and think about it now and make a decision to day about what the hell you would do you can be depressed and disgusted about it today that you don't have a good answer you can spend a couple weeks figuring it out you can put a documentation plan into place that says where you would go how you would get there and what you would do once you got where you were going you can have multiple ways out and you can do that now and if God forbid the situation comes you'll be one of the people that can orderly do what needs to be done without panicking and without uh, you know, a lot of times it's not that people panic, but they make a quick decision. They act on it rationally, but it was the wrong decision because they didn't have the time to think about it in advance. Once they become committed to it, they become locked into it, and then they have to deal with the consequences that come with being locked into that decision. Run the scenarios mentally today. Find the holes in them today so that you will never have a perfect plan. They say no plan survives contact with the enemy. Disaster planning is the same way. No disaster plan completely survives contact with the disaster. But it will put you in a situation where, yeah, you might have to adapt and improvise on your feet as you go forward, but you'll have a place to go. You'll know what to do about it when you get there. And you'll be able to adapt, improvise, and overcome intelligently because you have, at its core, a logical, well-thought-out plan. And I think that's about it for today, folks. I hope this has been a good show. I hope it's made you think about some of these more sinister disasters that we don't spend a lot of time on. I don't do a tremendous amount of time on causative factors. Here and there, I try to wake people up. But once in a while, we need to look into the abyss. We need to stand and look at the darkness and go, yep, that's there. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to shine the light of preparedness on the darkness of disaster. And with that, I'll tell you, you can start doing that today. It'll help you live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.